welcome to the Alpha Podcast by Canis Ryan Eford. I'll be hosting professionals that live the Alpha lifestyle from a number of different industries and career fields. You can find us at your favorite podcast apps and sign up on our newsletter for updates. All right, we're live here, the first Alpha Podcast, and we've got Fred Harbison on with us today. I had the opportunity to meet Fred um, last August up in the Brooks Range of Alaska. Fred's a guide for Alaska Perimeter Expeditions, and we got to spend, uh, gosh, the better part of 13, 14 days together. So, and that and that particular right. hunt yep. for sure, um, you you're going to know each other by the end of that. So, Fred, <laughs> yeah, we did some suffering, and we did yeah, we did some traveling for sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, Fred, thanks for thanks for being on today. Um, you live in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, and so just give us a little background um, about how you ended up in Alaska and what you do for a living. Well, thank you for this. It's quite an honor. I, I love being with you guys and uh, love seeing the Canis crew, their smiling faces. So um, I ended up in Alaska. Long story short, I climb mountains. I love climbing. I love being in the outdoors, hunting, and uh, when I went away to college, I persuaded my folks to help pay for school. I said, hey, I'm going to go up to Alaska, get a degree. In reality, I wanted to come up here and do some climbing, and I probably should have focused on school more. But, you know, hindsight's, you know, they say, you know, more accurate. And uh, so I came up here and uh, fell in love with the place. I was 30 years ago, and uh, I started working for the fire department a long time ago. I, I fought wildland fires. Um for the feds and for state government. Um, so put out a lot of wildfires and then I got hired on at the city of Fairbanks, uh, all the time hunting, you know, pretty much full time, um, had a career as a paramedic firefighter here in Fairbanks. Uh, and then three and a half years ago, retired from that and started guiding full time. Um, so I started, hunting with Alaska Perimeter Expeditions with Jeff Poor and some of the sort of legendary guides back in 94 and 95 as a packer um, and just progressed, you know, each year slowly until I could finally do it full time. Well, you and I had the opportunity to hunt in the Anwar, um, which was, you know, it was my first time to, yeah, and that was my first time um, hunting in Alaska. And so the Anwar and the Brooks Range, I mean, that was all so new to me. And I know that you've hunted personally um, sheep in several different areas of Alaska. But, um, yeah, tell us about, because a lot of guys listen have no idea about the Anwar and the Brooks. And uh, talk a little bit about that, because I know that spending time with you, I mean, you were passionate about that area and its beauty. Well, as I, you know, as, as you saw and as people can look on the on the website and watch the Brooks Range Warrior that that area what I love about Anwar is its vastness you remember the days we would we would look in the spotting scope you and I and and we would look 10 miles down range and we're like yep those are some sheep and I <laughs> and you know just based on the body size like they look like rams. You can't tell from 10 miles if they're very good or not and so okay well we just have to get close to them so you walk eight miles, you know, just to get close. It's just big, vast, open country. No one else out there for 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of square miles, lots of animals. I mean, caribou and bears and sheep. But the, the, what strikes me of Anwar is you can make a lot of time. You can travel relatively fast through that country uh, if you know where to go, if you know how to do it. Once you get up into the crags or down into the, you know, the brush, it can slow you down. But I think we, we did a pretty good job making miles. Um, but as you saw, it's pretty rugged. Sometimes, you know, you have to take an hour or two to struggle through a tough patch. Absolutely. The key is seeing, I mean, we found, we did a good job finding those game trails and getting around because it's, it is, it doesn't, as you mentioned, it is so vast. And I I remember numerous times, especially early on, I would look at a, at a land point and say, okay, we're going to be there in 30 (laughs) minutes and an hour hour and a half later, you're still walking and you're like, and then once you get get up to it, what you thought was a 30 foot cliff is, you know, 400 feet, like, whoa, I mean, there's just, you know, it's, it's hard. The, the frame of reference, size reference is pretty tough here. Yeah. You know, I've had the opportunity to meet Cabot uh, oh, yeah. in camp as well, yeah. right? You and Cabot. Um, and, you know, you guys are both. I mean, it takes a special takes a special individual, obviously, to be a sheep guide. Um, you know, for our listeners, I mean, uh, Fred was there, had a 12-day hunt before. Uh, fortunately, got done mm-hmm. uh, pretty early on that hunt. And we'll go back and talk about that guy's experience. But then we went uh, 12, 13 days and it was just an absolute Ooh. grind. Um, and, and so, you know, we had the luxury of, um, if you call it that, at least to rest and recuperate, to, to go back, uh, take the, the flight back to Fairbanks and take a shower. And you had a moose hunter yeah. coming yeah. in, you know. And so it, ta- it takes, uh, we talked about that on the, on the plane out. I mean, it takes a special person that's mentally tough. Uh, I mean, you can enjoy it as much as you want, right? But you, uh, things on your body start to break down, feet break down, you get hot spots. um, And as you mentioned, I mean, it can just, it can be a grind. And so it takes a special person. Let's talk about that. I mean, you obviously, you Cabot said you're, you're, you're tough, physical individuals. You're, you're, you know, I would say tougher mentally, right? Because no matter how good a physical shape you're in, there's still pain. There's pain every day yeah. on a sheep hunt. And so how do you deal with that? Um, what do you think drives sheep guides? Man, I think that's, I think that's a great question. I think that, um, I, I guess it's probably the same thing that drives, um, in their own special way, like a high end athlete or, um, um, anyone that is, it's, just very good at what they do. They know how to do it the most efficient way. Um, they know how to recover. As we talked about, you know, out there extensively training um, for this sort of thing, going six weeks straight of carrying heavy weight. You know, you don't just go do that. It takes all winter of weightlifting, of running, biking, skiing to develop all that. Um, but I think you're right. Mentally, I think is the hard part. I've had some guys come up, some hunters that were ex special forces and that kind of thing. And, um, they all fared pretty darn well. Some of them were just like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done because, but because it's not, they had, they weren't, they're trained to go in for a quick mission in and out two or three days done. You know, it's not a 14 day grind. Right. And so it's just specificity. It's getting ready for, 
for exactly what you're going to be doing. Um, I think for me, you know, getting, I mean, I'm not old, but probably older than most of my sheep hunters for sure, five, 10 years. Um, I think for me, it's just knowing how to be efficient out there, knowing, okay, we're going we're gonna to stop today a couple miles short, but that's going to gain us some time and some elevation tomorrow because we didn't get blisters. We're going to hydrate and rest up, and tomorrow is going to be a long, hard day. And so working in um, almost like a training plan, not going two or three, four straight hard days, having one day in the middle there where maybe you're not carrying your whole camp. You're doing a day expedition up onto a ridge and checking stuff out to sort of almost build in a rest day type thing. So you got to start being a little bit smarter, right? Um, change things up a little bit. But when it comes down to it, as you saw out there, sometimes no matter who you are, you just got to put the pack on and like, you know what? This is going to be a little rough, but we're going to get through it. And that's when you depend. That's when you and I relied on each other. And, and uh, you Absolutely. Just, you're like, hey, you're hurting. I'm hurting. We're just going to smile about and hurt together, and we'll get done with it. You know, I mean, that's all. Sometimes that's all you can do, right? You can't train for it. That's right. Yeah, you know, the back, the backpack sheep hunt in in Russia, um, we didn't utilize a spike camp, um, which was it was hard in a in a bit of a different way, right? So you're you're camped down yeah. in the valley, and it was a grind getting up every day. Now you're, but you're 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 basically day packing. Um, yeah. But it, but it was a great, so you, so you did that every day, but you did it every day. Right. And so that, and that was a, that was a grind, especially at the end of the day in the dark coming yeah. down through the foliage in yeah. the steeps, but the, you know, it was just, it was a grind in a different way. Um, let's talk about our packway for a minute. I mean, again, that was my first backpack sheep hunt. I remember, um, I was telling the guys when I, I think when I weighed my pack, I was a little bit lighter than the two camera guys that we had. And what I didn't realize is that when I weighed my pack, I did not have my, my binoculars on my chest. I don't think I had my rifle on my pack. And so I'd agreed to take some of Grady's uh, (laughs) lenses and, you know, and I was, and I shouldered that thing. And so I think every camera guys, me, you, everyone was North of 90 pounds leaving camp. And it was just, Whoa. I mean, this is serious weight. Um, you know, the glutes, the glutes started firing off, had to adjust the pack. I'm like, there's pain in places yep, there shouldn't right. be pain right now. So um, let's, but let's talk about that for a second. You know, what I was, I was running this morning um, and I was thinking about getting a visit with you today. And, you know, what I think is unique about any guide, um, especially a sheep guide, because of the, the seriousness, the danger of the situation, uh, you know, managing caloric intake and hydration and, and just the steeps and blisters, all of that. You have guys, of course, every year that come up and hunt with you that you've yeah. never met. You know, you've, you've talked to them on the, on the phone, you know, cabin, I think you guys, uh, like you did to me, you guys reach out and do somewhat yeah. of an interview and make sure that your clients are doing, you hope they're on, you know, you trust them. You hope they're on track. Yeah. You hope they're training. Um, but then it's even, so you're forced to, to basically become a team, right? On day one, when that, when that bush plane lands, you're forced to become a team with this person who you've never met for the next 12, 13 days. You know, then you take mm-hmm. our situation or any, anybody that films a hunt is trying to, you know, show an right. audience like right. what that hunt right. entails. Now you've got, you've got me and you've got two camera guys and that presents right. its own set yep. of challenges, right? I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard enough to, to to shoot a sheep, 
whether that's with a bow or a rifle, it's even harder to, you know, I know guides around the world that can be frustrating. They see that camera and it's like, oh God, here we go. You know, does this camera guy know what he's doing? Is he going to spook the game? Is, is he in shape enough? You know, he's, is he passionate enough about this because you know how much pain is going to be involved and you know, the hunter's passionate, yes. right? Cause he's wanting to, that's his, his dream to, to do that. But you, you, I think sometimes people rightfully so doubt, okay, this camera guy's here to do a job to shoot this camera. Is he going to be passionate right. enough to, to, to grind this out? I, I, mean, I remember so you and I you're had, forced in what we did well. And I, and I try to do this with every uh, hunter that's coming up. Um, you and I had some more extensive conversations over the phone before we even met about that. Hey, who are, who are, I, I remember right. asking you, um, who are these camera guys and, uh, you know, what are their capabilities? And, you know, I sort of explained to you, you know, kind of point blanks, like, Hey, if we, we get up close to a sheep, it's, it, it, this is your hunt. I'm there to help, you know, with some technical stuff, but it's your hunt. And I'm, I'm basically sometimes it may, it may come down to the fact I'm going to say, Hey, Ryan, you know, we can get close to that sheep, but we got to leave the camera guys behind, or we got to leave one behind. That's going to be your call. But so, but we had we had we had thought about a lot of these things: number of tents, food, you know, working through the anwar with four people instead of two. We talked about most of that stuff before you even got up here. So, just get that out in the open, and I think that's super critical. Like with any guide and any hunter, the hunter should always have some sort of conversation with the guide first, just like common goals. You know, the guide should be asking, what's your goal on this hunt? You know, what do you want to do? What do you want to see? I know obviously you want to get a nice animal. That's the number one goal. But there's so many other things you do out there, you know. Um, and so Absolutely. I think that conversation has to be done. And I, che I check in just to say hi, just see what they try to start figuring out what the person's like, you know? Sure. Well, and I think you did, you know, observing you in camp. I mean, it, that, that was mm -hmm. a tough hunt, right? It's um, not every hunt's like that, but that was a tough, um, that was a tough hunt. And so I think you did a good job. You bounced around every morning, you know, you started the day off, even when I know sometimes it was probably hard, you were positive, you know, you, you go check, basically do a, a yep. health check on everybody, how we doing mentally, how we doing physically. Let's address those blisters. Let's, let's, let's knock yep. those things out. And I think um, anybody listening that's uh, wondered if they um, would, would make it on a sheep hunt. I think that you just, you've got to have, you've got to train. And then you've also got the, the biggest key is go into it absolutely, with an open absolutely. mindset and just know yeah. that you got to be positive every day yeah. and work together. And, and it's okay. You know, it's okay to have a, day or two or a couple hours here and there, we're kind of down, you know, and that's when you rely on your other, right. you know, your, your other, your friends that are out there with you, you know, sheep hunting is, has taught me. And that's one question I have for you, man. It's taught me so much about life. Um, in Russia, um, Vladimir had a saying step by step, mm -hmm. right? No matter good or bad step by step, you know, you, you go too fast one, it's dangerous. You can right. die. Right. So don't look just step, step by step, control your controllables. And in Alaska, um, you know, that, that resonated. Uh, I was thinking about that hunt in Russia and it was step by step, you know? So me, when I'm talking to myself mentally and there's times where you're like, golly, you know, I'm, I'm tired, yeah. I'm hungry. Um, there's pain. It's like, look, step by step. And that's, 
that's helped me in oh, my life uh, since I've started sheep hunting, yeah. deal with a lot of things. I think so often people try to, they, they stress it, they get themselves in their own mind worked up and so stressed and give themselves anxiety because they're worried about things that they actually have yeah. no control over. You know, and, and sheep True. hunting has a way of, there's only so, so many things you can control. I, yeah, oh, absolutely. I have a, I have a favorite saying that a, a, an old timer, an old, um, uh, Athabascan gentleman I know from new, he's dead now, he's passed, but, uh, from Fort Yukon told me a long time ago, he said, uh, you know, in, in, in relation to all the things you have to do in life, all the things you have to do as a guide or a hunter or, or as a parent or as a teacher or as a coach, he, he said, Freddie, you're one man with two hands, meaning there's only so much you can do. You want to do a thousand different That's things right. super, super well. And so when it comes to life or coaching or whatever, um, it's like you have to prioritize. Okay, right now, these are the important things. I'll get to, you know, uh, fixing a tent later. It's nice and sunny. I can do that four hours from now. Right now, I need to get people fed, hydrated, and we need to get on the trail, you know, or... In, in, in life, exactly you know, right. okay, what's important right now? Well, I got my kids to pick up at school and I got to do some grocery shopping. I don't have to mow the lawn until tomorrow. You know, it's sort of like you can only do certain exactly right. So I think like a super hard sheep hunt or any hunt, I, you know, you, you rely on the people around you can teach you a ton about life and how to sort of prioritize what's important, um, what you actually need to do, you know. Uh, I, I take my I take my girls. My, I've got my two teenage daughters down to a little cabin that we built down the Alaska Range when I got divorced. There is no cell service. There's no internet. There's no electricity. It's propane lights. Uh, you know, you go to the spring for water, and they love it because they don't have to get on their pet devices. They don't have to like their look. They're playing games. They're going outside, cutting wood, hiking. It's just very simple. And so, now don't Absolutely. get me wrong; they're not going to get rid of their devices anytime soon. But for <laughs> for, for, for yeah. that amount of time, that's what's important to them, you know. And so, it's the same with hunting; it, it can teach you a ton about what's actually important, you know. Absolutely. You know, I took my uh, my oldest son, who's now thirteen, when he was six, had the opportunity to take him over to. Uh, Zimbabwe on my first, uh, it was Cape Buffalo Plains game. Hunt. What a great experience. Yeah, you know, and, and people, people ask me like, you know, or ask him like, what was it like to see Cape Buffalo and the area we were at, there was, um, rhino on the hoof. And so as a child getting to see, you know, a, a rhino on the hoof, I mean, and the lions, that was all amazing. But what was so cool. And I saw what basically transpired over that week Six-year-old kid, I think he actually turned seven. Yeah, we had his birthday in camp. He looked at me and said, Dad, when I get home, I don't need my TV in my room. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. That floored me because here's a kid, especially, you know, any kid in the modern world with all these devices and and televisions. And he realized that not having that TV in his chalet forced him to whittle a stick, forced him to, you know, play a card game, be a kid, basically go kick, go throw rocks. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, 
And I guess that's why sure. we all do it too, Absolutely. right? As uh, fathers, sons, and grandfathers. Um, so let's talk about training. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of guys listen also probably wonder as I did, um, you know, I, tra- I changed, um, when I, before I went to, uh, before I went to Russia, we had one guy get hurt on that trip. That's right. You told me about I changed that. my training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I used to, I used to do, uh, triathlons and of course the biking, mm-hmm. the running, um, and when I remember when I first started hunting elk in Colorado, it was kind of just, just pound yeah. pavement, right? Just walk up hills and pound pavement and getting to, to Kamchatka. I was so thankful that I did basically also a lot of strength training and, and, and some CrossFit type exercises, I would say, I mean, just stability exercises because they're what you, you can't replicate is stepping oh, off in a hole yeah. and the pack, the, yeah. the pack shifting, and, you know, there's um, hip flexors and groin and all those things that come into play underweight on in, in those mountains in Kamchatka yeah. are extremely steep. Um, and, and so that that made that cha- changing my training program really helped me on that hunt. And so then I, I ramped that up even more, did more of what I thought was good for Alaska. And I, I see a lot of guys these days. Um, whether they do it or they ask, it's like, Oh, I've been running a lot or I've, mm-hmm. I've just hit the stair stepper every day. And I think they're going to have a lot harder time, especially going on a backpack type hunt, uh, in Alaska or wherever that is, if they yes. don't you know, do strength training yeah. and stability and think, training. Well, first thing I would say to that is, I mean, Canis does a good job you know, on, on the website there. You have the Canis athlete and they're always putting out, you know, training and training yeah. and nutrition. And, but you're right. The, even things like balance people don't train for balance they don't get on a balance board and that's that's what i use nordic skiing in the winter for skate skiing um it could be hockey it could be lacrosse any anything with like lateral agility to work on that balance you know the unpredictableness of as you said walking on those rocks uh with the pack stuff like that is super super important um, the running, absolutely develop, you know, good cardio and, and toughen up, you know, your legs and your lower back as far as all the connective tissue, but without that weight in the pack and without, you know, working on balance, um, I, some of the weakest sheep hunters I've had, not mentally, but physically are the guys that just run. They don't do anything else. So, I mean, remember every, you know, just picking up those 90 pound packs the first day and put them on our backs. Just, you know, you're picking up your pack onto your and putting it on um, 15, 20 times a day, something like that. And so just that motion, I mean, shoulders, core, I mean, you're using all these muscles on, on one of these hunts that you don't think about. You think about just going uphill, using your legs. You know, thinking about carrying your rifle, there may be a six pound little mountain gun, but that's in your hand every, you know, for the large part of the day, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, your forearms get a workout after one day, you know, little things like that that people don't think about. So training for that can be super hard. I I think you guys have a great mix of it. Yeah. You've, you've done, you know, weight training, running, balance work. um, All of that is super important. And then of course, you know, weighted pack work, climbing. I would caution people to make sure they know how to go uphill with a heavy pack, 
But man, going downhill with a heavy pack can sometimes be even harder. You know, <laughs> I think uh, you and I turtled ourselves at least uh, once or yeah. twice on that trip. Yeah, ex- exactly. So going downhill. You just topple <laughs> and all of a sudden you're down. You're like, okay, what just happened? You know, so, um, and I would definitely recommend people have poles with them. For sure. I mean, if, if you look at all the serious hunters and serious guides carrying weight in the mountains, having a pole, preferably two poles is pretty important and anybody that's going to hunt with you better have poles because as we were we were laughing fred can move uh very fast <laughs> with poles from the old nordic skiing well you, <laughs> you have to i try not to but if you have to you can move you know, fast. you've been doing this uh ryan lee got some pretty bad blisters you've been doing this a long time uh, personally and then of course with the with yeah. the medical background um what what are is there any 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 mountain hacks that you've learned um that you want to share with people listening that uh, you've learned over the years that maybe you, you, you didn't know it originally and you add those things to your pack or you do these things now that you've. Um, for, for out in the field or for just uh, when you're training? No, no, out in the field on a hunt. I try to have everything sort of, you saw my pack. I try to have everything that has a, a dual purpose. Like I had a little canister. It's basically, it, it well, basically it is a empty Gatorade canister and, uh, you know, the screw on lid and that has all my personal stuff in a toothbrush, toothpaste, meds, you know, dental floss. Well, the dental floss is also great for sewing, you know, that plastic canister. That's my backup coffee cup or is also a backup, you know, water carrying container. So I guess what I've learned is if you can have items in your pack because you're carrying the darn thing wherever you're going, have it so they have multiple purposes, you know. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing because you can cut down on weight and you also have plan B. You have a backup for for items that you may not necessarily have. The other thing is take a few blister pads. They're good for everything. They can be Band-Aids. They can be blister pads and know how to use them, know how to drain blisters and know how to take care of them properly. Because no matter how you break in your boots, you get a you get a stick in there or whatever. You never know. Getting a blister out there, your feet get you into a country. They also get you out of the country, and so you got to take care of them. You know That's exactly right. Oh, gold bond, absolutely. <laughs> that was that's something that we uh, we showed up without and was fortunate that, yeah, that you gold, shared gold bond. Just there's there's underneath of... the pack strap <laughs> after a you know or on the. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Gold bond powder, people. Just and, remember and that. Your, Gold uh, bond powder. And your, uh, your, ba- your bathing hack with the heat in the water, that was a winner, too. We were able to clean up with the heat in the water oh, yeah. and, and taking the using the camp towel yeah, and, the, yeah, and the coffee yeah. cup. That's, that was awesome. Yeah, whenever you can do that. It's, uh, or finding little natural spots. I th- we walked by uh, what I called, well, Wolf Camp, that, that waterfall rock where the, where the water's cascading about 400 feet down that south-facing slope. I don't think we ever went up there, but um, earlier on, that was, you know, glacial, well, it's snow melt coming off, but then it's coming down that big south-facing heated rock slope, and the water's 65 degrees at the bottom. You just sit underneath there and have a shower. You know, out out in the woods, as when if you can get clean and stay clean, it's better for scent for animals. It's better for your hygiene. It's better for your tent partner. It's better for <laughs> it's better for everything. absolutely. 
Um, you know, I mean, you want to, you want to, you don't want a whole bunch of, you know, man-made smells, but if you can get that, you know, get that salt off of your face, you sleep better. It just, it just, you feel better and you can hunt harder if you feel better. That's the, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I think it, it, it just plays right into what we talked about that mental aspect, you know, that when you, when you go three days without seeing a sheep and your tent smells terrible and you've, you've got hot Ooh. spots and if you can, it's, a, it's, a, it's the little it's yes. the little wins, yep. right? And those little wins are huge sometimes. And you can feel, you can just be demoralized if your feet hurt, even if everything else is going super well, yep. you know, and then those little things add up. If you get too many of those, you can, it can be turned into a real nightmare. So, I mean, and that's the hard part. I think that's the thing that is one of the hardest parts about guiding is like you and I know each other because we spent some time. And then, and now we've talked right. since then. And so we're getting to know each other. The, one of the hardest parts about guiding is the first two or three days, figuring out exactly how far you can push someone or coach someone without, without making it miserable. That's right. Because you want to have, whether, whether you're seeing animals or on animals or not, that you want them to have a good time. It's supposed to be an enjoyable experience. You know, you want people to come back to you. So that's you sort of fine tuning are there and figure out are their feet okay lower back okay are they sleeping all right they're getting enough sleep or too much sleep you know and you sort of figure out uh without being a parent you you know figure out what they need to stay comfortable and stay happy well and i think that goes back to what, what impresses me about any successful guides in general especially mountain guides i think i heard uh it was ivan carter one time yeah. the african ph say you know, you're, you're so much more than mm -hmm. a guide. Um, you, 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 at times you have to be a paramedic, you have to be a coach, you have to be mm -hmm. a parent, a, a marriage counselor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, because you have to basically adapt to every single client, which have, you know, different yeah. personalities and, and all have a passion obviously for the outdoors and a, a a passion or a drive to try to yep. go on a sheet. And when it, comes to uh, when it comes to marriage counseling, I say, I'll give you as much marital advice as you want, but just remember I've been divorced. So do you really want, do you really want to listen to me? Other things I may a, be qualified. I may be qualified to talk about other things, but just saying. Full, yeah, full disclosure here. Yeah. Comes with the nature. <laughs> So let's talk about, I was, I was having a conversation with a guy um, this week. We were talking about, and it, was, it reminded me of, and you, you don't know this, um, I don't think. I just got back from Nepal oh, for Blue oh, Sheep. I didn't know that. Um, and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. But, um, you know, our hunt went down to the wire. We, we shot the last day with you in Alaska. Your your client the week before, I think he he killed on day we, one we, or two. You said. Well, he he yeah. Um, so uh, Kurt came in. He came in two days early, um, and we yep. got underneath a ram the day before the season opened, and so we got that ram uh, an hour and fifteen minutes into opening day. I'd hunted with Kurt before, and so I said, "Hey, come up a couple days early." A couple times, right? No, just once. I'd only hunted with him once. Yeah, but I said, "Come up, come up a couple days early." We're going in the Anwar, so it's going to be some big country. Let's take a couple days and find a ram, get up underneath it, and just sit sit on it. And um, 
and make a play. And so that's what we did. And so that was nice. Uh, to, but then he had another 10 days. So he actually ended up harvesting a nice, almost eight foot grizzly bear, interior grizzly, um, which was also fun. We got him real close to that, about 30 yards. And I think his eyes almost popped out of his head when he came up over and said, he's right there. And yeah, sometimes it goes down to the wire. What happened on the, the blue sheep? Same same situation, you know. It was uh, the epitome of Murphy's oh. law every day. Uh, we could have sh- we could have shot day one. Could have shot a not a nice ram. Um, Kurt, you know, uh, no, you didn't. Kurt didn't make it to Alaska because of COVID. But Kurt, um, yeah. cameraman, yeah. came down with Jardia, and so <clears throat> we don't know how he got it. But basically, you know, you're at this point. We were a two day walk in and, and a mountain camp, and he's got Jardia. So fortunately. Uh, they had yeah. some meds um, at a at a village close to there. We were able to get yeah. that taken care of, but from there, um, it, it was just Murphy's Law, right? It's um, it was like everything that can go wrong on an, every given day, whether it's weather or the, the the rams moved or somebody's sick or some. It's just it is what it is, and um, and so the it, you have the age old question, right? Oh, do I shoot this ram or this elk or this this deer on day one? Oh, I don't want the experience. And then you pass and then you don't see anything yep. else for the next 10 days. And so this gentleman, you know, we, we, we were in agreement. You, you know, if you, if you see it on day one, you take the shot or day two, um, because I feel like if you're, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you pass and you try to be greedy and say, oh, there might be a bigger one yep. within reason. Right. Um and you have to, and that happened to us down in Sonora, Mexico. Um, we'll we'll be dropping that video in um, oh right July on. or August, yeah. but you know we got we got we got lucky we got lucky down there, and it's like yep we got to take this we got to take this ram because uh, it doesn't always happen. And then sure enough, here you go to Nepal, and I shot my ram, and with an hour left in daylight on the last day, you know I'm basically looking off into the sunset going, my gosh, you know, it took us 50 hours to get here on an airplane and we've been up here for 13 days and it's just not going to happen. And, you know, that's hard for a lot of people to understand. There's going to be a lot of people when I come home and I basically, as I looked into the sunset, as I ran my hand through my hair, thought, you know, they don't understand like, well, man, you went that far and you, and you weren't successful. And it's like, no, well, we were successful because we, the way I define success is did we do everything that well, we well, possibly so, could to be So I think that's successful. what we should talk about too, is what makes a successful hunt. You know, I, I yeah. think the way you approach it is success necessarily is success only getting the animal. The way I feel about it is no, it's that process. What did you do? What, that's what right. as you were about, we're starting to say like, did you do everything you could? Did you see everything you could see? Did you learn everything you could learn? Yep. Did you appreciate every sunrise and every sunset? Did you know, did, did you, that is in my mind. And of course, getting a nice animal is part of that. It's, it's a, a bonus. bonus. It's a bonus. But what, what, yeah. What is a successful hunt? And I think that all comes down to, yep that mental attitude you go into a hunt. If someone goes into a hunt, I, in my opinion, in my experience, if someone goes into a hunt thinking 
the only way I'm going to have success is if I get a, you know, a, a record book Ram, they're setting themselves up for failure. That's right. Getting a record book Ram. Yeah, obviously that's going to be awesome. I mean, that's the goal. That's what you're, but you're setting yourself up for a big letdown. If that's all you're focusing on, you're walking by the fossils, you're walking by the flowers, you're walking by cool waterfalls or a bear den or whatever if you're just solely focused on one thing. And so success, what, so what do you think a successful, you were about to I cut you off, but what, do, what, what in your mind, what is a successful hunt? Absolutely. No, you nailed it. I mean, it's, you go to the Anwar, right? A place that, I mean, mm-hmm. I've never been that remote in Alaska and to wake up, you know, you and I positioned our tent a, a few times just to have, to, mm-hmm. to have the best view when we woke up in the morning, you know? And so, for me personally, it's if you you get to ask yourself, did I do everything that I could do to be successful? And that's not just meaning getting the animal. Was I a good mm-hmm. teammate to, you know, to, to you in that situation, the guide to my camera guys? You know, did we help each other where we could help? Did we did everyone behave in a in a manner that that funneled mm-hmm. to mission success, right? Did we, did we appreciate the beauty of Alaska? I mean, we saw caribou, we saw moose, we saw, um, mm-hmm. bears, we saw wolves and we, we had unbelievable weather right on that trip. I mean, I think we only got weathered in one day. I mean, that just doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so we weren't seeing as many sheep as maybe you know, you'd right. seen in the past or, you know, Whereas, you know, I'd heard some reports, oh, they're, they're just rams running all over each other in the brooks right now. And so, but again, if you listen to that and you get down because, you know, we go the first couple of days without yeah. seeing the shooter ram, now you're fighting against yourself. You're fighting against the right. mission and everybody's overall experience. I mean, here's the deal. You go to Nepal and you're hunting oh, in the Himalayan mountain range. I mean, I, 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 I would have been, I learned so much from the Sherpas. Yeah. And the guys there, you know, from just being at altitude and all the things that we had to contend with and see in the Himalayas. I mean, how many people have, have gone and trekked around at 17,000 foot in yeah. the Himalayan mountains and had the opportunity to learn from Sherpas that are born yeah. at 18,000 feet? That must have been an incredible experience. You know, well, Absolutely incredible experience. Unbelievable. You know, I asked my, my Sherpa, I said, do you train for this? And, sure. you know, there's a language barrier, right? Of course, hunting in Asia. And, uh, and he spoke a little bit of English, but he said well, he didn't understand train. I said, exercise. Do you exercise for this? And he just so matter of factly, no. And then he's as, he, as he's trying to explain to me, he says, I, I just walk. And I said, what do you what do you mean you walk? Like, wh- where do you walk to? And he's like, in the village, I just yeah. walk everywhere. And I said, oh, there's no cars in your village. And he said, no, there's no car. So I have to walk to take the kids to school. I walk to get food. Yeah. I walk to work. Um, I said, what elevation is your village? And he said, 18,200 feet. And I'm like, well, my Lord, he's here. We are at 17,000 feet. He's 1200 feet lower than. than, than How how did the altitude affect you when you were over there hunting? You know, we took Diamox on a daily basis. You know, the, the, it was the first day. So we, we landed the chopper. uh, We flew out of Kathmandu. We landed the chopper at 10,000 roughly 10, five. Um, we stay, we, we did an acclimation hike for about four or five hours and to a village and we stayed a night. And then the next day we hiked to 13, five 
where we set yeah. up our main, um, you know, spike camp, base camp, whatever you want to call it. Um, and everything was good. The, 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 th- the first day hunting, which was the third day when we eclipsed 16,000, I, I got this immediate, I got dizzy for a second and I got like this head rush and yep. I got a headache and I looked at my altimeter and realized that we had just got past 16,000, you know, and I love to ski mm-hmm. and ski the, the bowls and cat ski. And so, but I've never been anywhere near that high. Um, so I, it was about time. It was about, I think that day I ended up taking three Dymox instead of two. Normally I would just take um, one in the morning when I got up and one in the afternoon and I was good. Um, so, it, but, but I'll tell you this, what, what was interesting to me, we were rocking and rolling. Yeah. Team was in shape. Um, Mahesh has been doing this 40 something years. He's in his seventies. He stayed in camp, mm-hmm. you know, at 13, five. Uh, but he said, we've never, again, cause it was Murphy's law. We had, we had blizzards <laughs> come in, and, um, but we, we just kept, we just kept going. And he said, I've never, he actually asked, he said, have you guys ever wanted to climb Mount Everest? Cause if you want to, you should do it now because yeah. you're in good enough shape. You know, you guys should go go do it. I said, well, yeah, if you put you a go. sheep up there on top, <laughs> I'd go do it. <laughs> but, but he said, um, you know, we've never had guys go so many days in a row without mm-hmm. a rest day. Um, so I say that to say we were rocking and rolling. We were in good shape. <clears throat> My Sherpa had gone up on a, on a ridge line to eat his lunch, and it was about – it was about a thousand foot up um, and they wouldn't let us carry any weight. You know, I carried my binoculars. The, ca- the camera guys got to yeah. carry one camera, but they, everybody had a Sherpa and they had to carry And you know, initially I thought it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's an honorable thing. It's a guide, it's a client um, until uh, my rifle, you know, add 10, 12 pounds, right. I was sitting here, beside me eating lunch and my Sherpa had my bag about a thousand feet up eating lunch. Well, he sees a Ram up there. And so he signals Ram come up. And so I'm carrying my rifle. And now let's just say I've added 10 pounds Mm -hmm. to myself. That's the first time I could not get out of the red, you know, as far as like my, my engine just overheating. I mean, I'm just red line pegged. And uh, Ryan Lee, the, the camera guy, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, man, I can't recover. Right. Like I'm just going vertical and just adding a yep. little bit of weight. And, and, you know, they're carrying 30, 40 pound packs for us. It, it just hammered me. And so that's when I, I realized too, I mean, you, there's no way without basically doubling or tripling your trip, you know, for guys like you and I to go over there and do that, not living oh, at that elevation, okay. it would take us th- three times as long because we'd have that's to get right. acclimated and yep. just get used to it. Well, that's, and so, that's, yeah, I used to climb big mountains and that's the whole thing is that taking that acclimation time beforehand, you know, again, those Sherpas, you know, they're, they're born and raised, they live in the mountains, you know, their physiology, their physiology is different. Um, bodies are more efficient. You know, they don't have gigantic carcasses like me that has to pump blood through, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're pretty compact. They're pretty svelte. They're wicked they strong, are. just wiry strong, just through their, through their, through their lifestyle. Some of the toughest people. You know? And so I think it's hard for Westerners, um, no matter how you train, you saw it. I mean, you're in phenomenal shape. You get to altitude, man, altitude, that's a game changer. 
you know, I've seen marathon runners and some unbelievably physically fit people and altitude just because their physiology just kills them. They can't go above 12,000 feet no matter what they do without getting super sick, you know? And then some people, absolutely tiny bit out of shape might take them a while. They can go up to 20, 22,000 feet, feel just fine. Who knows, you know? So, well, it's too bad that, uh, I mean, you got a Ram, which is nice, but, uh, just like another one of those yeah. long grinds, another long trip, huh? Absolutely. It, um, where I took the shot, this mountain. Now, I'd stared at this mountain for two days prior. We had to move areas. There was so much yeah. snow up high. Mahesh wasn't comfortable from our current spike camp to hunt this group of rams. They would send a team up of Sherpas, preferably the mules, and we would set up a spike camp for one night. But we'd have to sleep at about 15.5, yeah. 15.7 versus mm-hmm. 13.5. Um and he was worried about, you know, he was worried about that just because he said, you, you just never know how altitude affects people. And he's like, when we, when we tend to have, we have problems when people are sleeping because yep. their body relaxes. And if you're going to give in to the altitude, we have serious mm-hmm. problems. And so right. at a maximum, and you're going to go up for one day, sleep there, hunt those rams. So long story short, snow comes in. Two days of blizzards, we have to walk way around. And I'm looking at this mountain, we're going to go up. And I'm like, is there, we were hunting some tar down on the lower part yeah. where there was no snow. And I said, is there a trail up there? And he would always laugh and say, Somewhere. there's a trail. <laughs> and I'm like, is it straight up and down? He said, yeah. He said, the guys are going to, the guys are going to take ropes. So if you're uncomfortable, yeah. put your ropes on. Well, and, uh, here we okay. go. Now That's interesting. Real. <laughs> now it's about to get Western. So, um, but yeah, where we, we ended up, I mean, that, that climb, I remember thinking as I climbed up, I thought my mother would not be happy with me right yeah. now if she saw what I was yeah. climbing up. But we, we ended up getting our ram. Um, they immediately, it was about a three-hour descent down, and it was straight up and down. Um, and so the, the guides basically said, get those guys off the mountain. We'll recover it. Well, they couldn't even, they, they basically cribbed the meat, um, even left the horns because it was dark. And it was so steep. They came down and we wake up the next morning at uh, 5 a.m. And it is just full on blizzard. And we have at this point about in in no weather conditions, we have about a six, seven hour hike back to this village where the helicopter is going to extract us. And uh, but with the snow ended up taking us about eight and a half, nine hours. But I asked Mahesh, I said, how are we going to get my ram? And he said, I've already deployed the. The, the boys, and he said they left at 4 a.m. in the dark in this whiteout blizzard yeah. back up there to get to get the ram. And so we head out. Um, so I didn't even get reunited with my ram until basically then the, the night, the day after, as these guys basically yeah. trudge into camp. Um, but they, they are some of the I was blown away. You think yeah. you meet tough people and then you're always humbled and go, I know oh, that yeah. tough people. Big time. I mean, those guys. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's below freezing. It's, it's snowing and they're out drinking tea in the blizzard and flip flops right. beside the yeah. fire. Um, and they never, they never complain. It's like, it's not in their DNA, yeah. right. To complain. They just, they just grind. And, um, it's so motivating. I was asking, um, I was so intrigued by like the toughness of the people. I was like, tell me the history, you know, of Nepal. And we talked about the right. Turkish soldiers and how yeah. the British had invaded and, and the British basically got um, humbled quickly yeah. 
because uh, you're you're basically battling guys that that are born at eighteen thousand feet, and there's it's kind of like when the Russians yeah. went into Afghanistan, right? It's yeah. the same situation. Yeah. yeah, meeting someone on their own turf can be pretty humbling. Absolutely, you know, mountain people. I mean, are- they're the experts there. That is their that's their realm. It's it's like you know it's, it's um you know it's like fine it's like animals. You know, meeting some meeting an animal on it in its own realm is uh, totally different. You know, I mean, they are the kings, the doll sheep, any sheep, any big, you know, mountain species. That's their realm. That's their turf. You that's know? right. They, they, they know what they're doing. You're just an interloper trying to figure it out. So many times in Nepal and, and, and in Alaska, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned it to you. I mean, you look at those you look at those sheep and how quick they can gain ground up there in the mountains at altitude. It's amazing. And it's so frustrating, too, because you're you know, you've worked so hard to get within range. And then and something happens and they're just boom up into escape terrain. Yeah. And it's like, how in the world do they move? And it makes you appreciate your own body. Yeah. You know, it's like or, or the lack thereof. It's like, how do those animals move yeah. so fast up and down these rocks? Yeah, it is amazing. So let's talk about uh, we had a little bear experience Ooh. there. Right. Yeah. In, in Alaska. Yes, we did. That was that was uh, that was fun. But. Hey, but that's why you go to Alaska, right? To to see yeah. things like that. Um, so you think that that bear? That was, was a, a big, big bear. bear. And in fact, that uh, the hunter I had after you folks, he wanted to go after that. So we went all the way back there, and um, we could never find that big bear again. He got a nice bear, um, but Christian. Um, but we went back, we went all the way back 15 miles and basically sat up. Remember where that lair was, where we found the radio collar from right. the caribou and the bear. I mean, he came up, shoot, it must've been, I mean, you had the rifle on him. He came, he bluff charged us what twice. Right. And he came up to us probably within 20 meters, something like that. That's 20 yards, yeah, something like that. 20 yards, yeah. And um, yep. so right, we sat above that area, oh, you know, downwind for a day or two, just scoping, glassing that whole area, just seeing, because that bear had obviously been in there for a long time, and seeing if we could pick him up, but we couldn't. But we, we, took, a, we took a different grizzly bear back there. But um, yeah, that was an experience. You know, we were, you and I, we had, you'd shot your ram the day before. And that morning, I had done part of the caping, and then we came up over a pass, a nice sunny day, and instead of running the ridge line back out, we decided to walk a drainage back to where our tents were. Towards about the middle of that drainage, um, maybe two miles above uh, where our tents actually were, we started coming across these pretty big bear tracks, like, hey, some pretty big bear tracks. But I was like, yeah, you don't think about it. And then we got into that sort of, remember that, almost like a dark, um, pretty heavy brush, but uh, a dark, damp area where there was a dead caribou. I'm like, okay, right. heads up. You know, obviously there's a bear around. And that was a shooter bull. I mean, that's a... It was a big, was a big bull, bull caribou that had been freshly killed within a day or two. It's like, okay. And sure enough, you know, whatever, 50, 100 yards down from there, I saw that flash of bear. I said, hey, bear, get out of here. And I start waving my, my ski poles and looked at us and 
you know, bluff charge. And you can tell a bluff charge, you know, it has head up, his ears weren't back, you know, it just was, and then he sort of looked, and then he ran away, right? And then by that time, you'd had the rifle out. I said, don't shoot, don't shoot, hold on. And he came back at us. I'm like, get out of here, you know? And, and um, yeah, that was pretty close. But, but you know what? It, it was, we had hunted long enough together. That was, was a good bear. It's just. You had the rifle on him, thank goodness, you know? Um, right. You could tell that in, in another situation that could have been pretty serious. But I think he saw four of us and was like, eh, I think I'm going to, you know, he made the right call. I'm going to, I'm not going to deal with these guys. I'm going to let them go. You know, would the situation have been different with just two of us? It could very well have been, you know, and I think about that encounter. I was like, why did that, that was a big bear. That was a nine foot plus. I mean, it was a massive interior grizzly. And I'm like, why didn't that guy just, I mean, we're on a, his food or near his food source. Why didn't, he just, why didn't he just roll us? And you could tell he wasn't very serious about us. Like he wasn't, you know, he wasn't super aggressive, just almost curious. But right, right on that edge where could have gone either way pretty fast. And so I think maybe it was the numbers. Um, I think in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sunlight also was probably less of a threat. Um, and the other thing is, you know, he had a lot of food there. Like those interior grizzlies can be pretty aggressive. They're so calorie starved. You know, he had just gotten a big bull. He saw that we weren't taking his bull. You know, I mean, I'm trying to go through, you know, trying to think of it as a human, but, I, and, and uh, what a bear is thinking, which is always a mistake, but I think the numbers and the fact that he wasn't stressed for calories probably were the big factors there. Absolutely. I mean, it was a lesson for me, you know, I've, I've heard of, um, seems like over the last couple of years, um, several stories where guys have basically gotten in trouble with a bear, um, in the back country. And I think it was a, it was a great lesson because here we are, you know, we haven't seen a bear, right. In what, mm-hmm. 11 days. And, you know, if, if somebody, you got to take it serious because if, if somebody lets their guard down or like it can happen quick and, and more importantly, you better, if it does happen, it could be messy. So you better, you better be prepared mentally to be able to take care of yourself. You know, whether call global rescue, have access to your satellite phone or, or your in reach, whatever, whatever, that's um, right. Whatever your red rescue plan is, that's be, right. be prepared yep. to execute yeah. it. Because like, as you said, you know, I mean, I knew the way out of there, um, right. The way we'd come in, but as you said, I mean, basically the plan was, you know, you got the rifle out. If he hits me, shoot him off of me. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, oh, well, they're, now Freddie's down. <clears throat> we got to get a, get ourselves yeah. out of here and get Fred out of here as quickly yeah. as possible. Well, I think that, yeah, that that situation just happened to get work out. And there are some things I would do differently in the, in the future. But yeah. you had it covered. And, you know, my, my yeah. job was basically to get myself and in between you guys and the bear and just get as big. And I've done that a lot with bears. You get as big yeah. as you can and be loud. You get your sticks. And for the most part, they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, if you start backing away right. and show any sign of fear, that's it. They're going to they're gonna get, you know, I think I remember, you know, I took a couple steps forward and like waving the, you know, knocking those to get out of here, you know, getting super loud and aggressive. Absolutely. Because that's what you have to do. That's, and you had the rifle. So like, okay, 
um, the poor the poor camera guys. After remember that we asked, hey, did you guys get that? Did you guys get that? And they're like, oh, no, they like they're they were, backwards. They were maybe. praying and yeah, they were uh, they were praying and spraying with their cameras yeah. as they tumbled yeah. backwards behind the backs. <laughs> no, I, 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 whether it's yeah. weather, you know, as you said in the Himalayas, you know, avalanche, av, you know, snow comes in and avalanches are building up, you know, above you. Or, or snows building up above you could avalanche or, or bears or, uh, you know, some of the craziest, most dangerous times up in the, in the brooks I've had are, are those stream crossings. You know, you go across a stream and it's uh, ankle deep and then a couple days of rain up high. It may not even be raining where you are. You have to get back across a stream and now it's almost hip deep and, and ripping. Man, that that can be a dangerous crossing. Uh, you know, that water. Just little things like that you have to be prepared for and think about constantly. Like how are we going to get back now? You know. Absolutely. You know, I um I guess kind of the same situation just to, just an example of again being prepared in in Nepal, so on this hike out, this 9-hour hike in the full whiteout condition when the snow's coming down that hard, right? I mean, it was like a dream you know, right. dream ski day in Colorado. Yeah. Um, but it's coming down so fast. We've gone from, okay, four inches to 12 inches in a, in a matter of, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And we're up basically on the ridge lines. Um, and the snow got so deep so fast that a mule actually, he goes above me and I'm looking up and he falls to his, to his belly and he's like Santa sleigh yeah. coming down towards me. And cause he's got this weight on. And of course I just watch him go by. There's nothing yeah. I can do to get out of the way. Um, so we get up to the top and, you know, I've been trying to, I've been taking my gloves on and off, on and off, on and off, trying to film, shoot, you know, different, the different cameras when I could, everybody just trying to oh, you want to sure. capture it for, everybody to say, you know, like, it's like, it's your biggest fear. Like, Oh, did we capture yeah. enough? And so my hand, my hands go from like stinging cold, right. To numb. Cause then I'm having a hard time getting them back. Cause everything's wet. And I didn't have like, cause that was just un unseasonal right. weather yeah. for that time of year. Um, and I remember thinking, thank God I've got my, my down and then my, my Canis, my uh, Nunavut jacket absolutely. and my Nunavut pants, yep. because as we yeah. as we went over the cornice, the wind was like forty five mm-hmm. miles an hour, and that's when it got super weird because it's whiteout conditions. I'm like, surely these guys know the trail because you know that over there they mark the trail with, with yeah. rocks, yeah. right? Um, we get the mules up there, and then it's mass pandemonium because we have to. People, guys are trying to rip the weight off the mules. We're just going to leave, yeah. and that was our tents and some cooking utensils. And at the same time, now these, these Sherpas are getting, they're standing, right? And they're carrying 80-pound mm-hmm. baskets. And so now, as you know, right, they're standing. Now they're getting hit with a 40-mile-an-hour wind. They didn't have the gear, the three-layer, mm-hmm. you know, shell jacket and pants yep. that we had, hood, um, and the quality of boots. A lot of them are in tennis shoes because that's just what they prefer to mm-hmm. walk around in the mountains in. Um and so that's when Mahesh, so, you know, as we debriefed in, in the village, he's, and I'm sitting there going, okay, now, and my hands, then my hands got warm again. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, am I like, I, am I going to have to pull my wool socks out and put them over my right. hands, right. To pull two pair of woolies out. 
But the situation got Western super fast. And Mahesh told me, he said, I got actually a little bit fearful at that point because we had to get the weight off the mules, but we also had to get the guys off the yep. ridge line because once they started cooling down, if hypothermia, we had so far to go at that point, you know, we had another five mm-hmm. hours in this storm. So we had to get them walking. So yeah, it can happen fast. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. That's, that's mountain hunting. Yeah. That's backcountry yeah. hunting. And having those layers is, is so important. I think, you know, every day we went hunting, we, we, we may have left our tents behind, but we had all of our layers. We had everything we needed. It wouldn't be super comfortable, but we could totally survive uh, you know, till we got back to our main base camp, you know, back to the airstrip. Right. Um, and that last couple of days, you know, we actually had our sleeping bags with, you know, when we made our last play, like guys, you know, take right. two days of food, take your sleeping bag, sleeping pad, who knows, may have to sleep out there. Maybe not. And we looked at the weather, check the barometer, weather system, weather patterns. Nice. You know, I think let's, let's go, let's go do this. But being, you know, thinking about that a day in advance, two days out, three days out, what do you, ha- what do you need? What are you going to have? What are you going to need? What are the worst case scenarios, you know? And I think that the gear that you brought up uh, and the, the Canis gear that I now use is perfect for that. Because as I said earlier, the multiple multi-purpose, you know, little jug I have for carrying stuff. It's also my backup coffee cup or water. And that Canis gear, I use it for other things too. I mean, I've got the wind shirt. Um, I think it's the Premier. Uh, the Premier. Yeah, yeah. Insulation that I, that I use fat biking in the winter because it is one of the only pieces of equipment that I can sweat super hard and I don't get uh, the frost build up on the inside. And so I stay dry for a four hour yep. fat bike ride or, or an hour long skate ski. And so use gear for multiple oh, purposes. The, um... So then, then you know your gear. Then you're like, man, no, I trust that. I've used it in this temperature i've used in these conditions that is in my pack number one it's going you know and that's how i sort of make decisions about gears have i used it in multiple different settings do i trust it and you know that canis gear i mean i, I sent you some pictures of me cutting firewood in those canis you know in the canis pants i had an insulated layer on, underneath yep. they're tough as nails you know and they stay dry yep. and i don't have to worry about that moisture and so Boom. When I when it comes to this season, pant. I know what pant I'm taking. I know what gear I'm taking because I've it, I've tried it in multiple different scenarios, situations, not just hunting, and it works, you know? And that's what I appreciate. Yeah. You're talking about the um on that jacket, because I know you fell in love with the Alpha yeah. Grizzly jacket. Yeah. Because yeah. it's um and that was basically Nordic skiing um inspired, right? Is Nordic it? skiing, cutting firewood, hunting. Um, I just went on a little climb down the Alaska range. I took that up high up onto a snowy ridge, popped that thing on, and oh, it's just it's wonderful, you know. Um, and so obviously part of the part of the system and part of the pack, you know, that uh, you trust it. Well, and it's so you know, our gear is I mean, sometimes when I'm headed out to a trip and I I grab my duffel and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I've, I've, I'm going crazy. I haven't packed all my gear in there as yeah. far as my clothing. And cause it's so lightweight. And then I look in the top, like, no, it's all there. And then I'm like, okay, perfect. Now I can carry more yeah. food or, or more yeah, boys yeah, or right. whatever else yep. I want to carry. You got to be careful though, because you know, you have good gear like that. And then your pack is only half full. And you're like, well, you'd feel obligated to put something else in there. Like, no, That's right. you don't need to put anything <laughs> right. else in there. No. <laughs> yeah. Keep it light. Yeah, exactly. Take advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, um, so when are you heading back into the to the bush this year? 
Yeah. August 4th, I'll go and I'll go and I'll August pack 4th. in. I'm going to okay. a, an area that I hunted. I'm not going back to Anwar. I'm going back to a, a different area that I, that I guided in two years ago, which requires about a seven mile pack in from our, our little lake that we land on to basically where our spike is. But I'm going to go in a couple of days early and just take okay. a load of gear and food up there and leave it. We actually have a plan for a steel barrel okay. up there so I can leave a food cache that will mm-hmm. actually be there, unlike ours. Awesome. So I'll, 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 I'll take right. a load of gear and food in um, and do a little bit of scouting. And then the hunters come in on the 9th. And then the first day of the hunt, the 10th, we all we walk in um, to spike camp. And then we sort of split off from there. They're just they're another guide and myself and his hunter and my hunter. So just four people. Sheep hunting? Sheep, sheep and grizzly. Grizz. Yep. Sheep is primary. I mean, I, I'm... I've talked with my hunter and I said, Hey, you should definitely get a, you know, a grizzly tag. There are some decent bears in there, you know, as as a, once you get a sheep, if you want a grizzly, you know, um, you should consider that there are lots of bears there. Um, so that, that's definitely an option, but he, he's, he's on board for sheep. I mean, that's his number one goal. So, and that's a little different area that, that area, the sheep density is much higher um, there are also a lot of ewes and lambs. So although the sheep density is higher, it in some ways is um, harder to hunt because you have a lot of eyes on you all the time. You know, like ours, you know, the sheep were sort of spread out and you could you could walk down the middle of a valley and have no worry about spooking things out of there. This area is a little smaller and tighter with way more eyes. So you have to be a a little craftier is how you get get around, but yeah, it should, should be fun. August 4th. And then I go in and I've got two hunters. So I'll be in there for a month, uh, five weeks total. Um, yeah, it'll be good. Man. I still think about sheep meat that, that doll, that was the first time I'd eaten doll sheep. And when we cooked it that first night over the open fire, we did the ribs first, so the ribs the, and some the ribs uh, and then, sweet meat. and then we cooked, uh, I, I think we cut up some medallions. We did. Um, and then and cooked them either on spits and then also on those hot rocks, on those hot stones. And that worked out perfect. It was unbelievable, right? What a treat! It was amazing. Yeah, if you haven't, if if you are listening and you haven't checked out the Brooks Range Warrior, um, check that film out because you can see Fred and I in action and uh, just the adventure of a lifetime yeah. that was. And and uh, it is in the film. Uh, the, another. Grizz or multiple Grizz came and ate all of our yep. all of our food, and so for the last what day and a half, we basically right. just had sheep yep. meat. Um, yeah, and, so, and some uh, mountain house. I think we made it. I think we actually. I think we all we cooked up a pretty good stew a couple of days. That that did pretty darn good to me. And then we had that. You know, we were about four miles from our camp, from the main base camp where we, you know, the the outfitter tent and the, and the, but we had. I think we had about four or five miles to go and we just stopped for a meal and made a gigantic bonfire, warming fire. Remember that? And just sort of hung out and Absolutely. ate and dried out. And you're like, okay, we got this made. Like we're only four miles away. We're good to go. It was sort of like that, you, that, that point of the trip. We're like, okay, we got this now. Like it was, we locked in. Absolutely. It was good oh, for the soul, so that fire. I remember that last yeah. meal. And, you know, being, a, being an ex-fireman, I do like making fires. So that's not <laughs> We're a good myth. at making fires. <laughs> uh, I think it was Gra- Grady told me, he said, uh, man, I've never seen a guy be able to make a fire like Fred. And I was like, well, yeah. 
I think he's he's been training that. <laughs> uh, you know, Mount, Mountain House, Mountain House May. We we might should call them and sell them that new flavor that we had there. The was it spaghetti breakfast skillet and some? Oh, uh, it it was all of them put together, wasn't it? Yeah, mixed mixed in one. Well, that was that was that was a darn fun trip. It was amazing. Well, you know, I've uh, I appreciate you you being on. And uh, it's been a pleasure visiting with you and catching up. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Mean, you've got, um, you know, since I've met you, every time I go out training yesterday, this morning, I always know that, uh, you know, Fred's out training too. And that's Absolutely. what's cool about hunt- yep. hunting and the, the friendships um, that you make. And it's, uh, when you, especially when you go through a hunt like that together, right? And I know that you're going back out to the bush here in August yeah, it's pretty awesome and it's inspiring. Well, I want, but at the same time, I want to thank you guys and you in particular because what makes a hunt a hunt are the people you're with. That's right. And you guys made that hunt, you know. And um, thank you. I mean, the gear is phenomenal, but the people make the hunt. And uh, absolutely, it, it was truly a, a, a remarkable experience for sure. Thank you, and you know, be safe. I don't talk to you before. The fourth. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to having you guys back up to Alaska at some point. Well, we're going to hunt together again. So, okay, good. Yeah, good, good. absolutely. We've yeah. got more, we got more, uh, more country to see, more stories to tell. Perfect. I love it. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And uh, to our, our listeners, thanks for listening to our first alpha podcast. And we will have more, uh, more stories to tell with Fred Harbison from Alaska. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you.